Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taport. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together, we'll crack the customer code. All right, welcome to episode 13 of Crack the Customer Code. Today, we're talking about why your brain works against you and how smart brands get over it. And Mike Wittenstein will be joining us to talk about the store of the future and some strategies for approaching moving your store into not the 21st century, but the 29th century, Jeannie. Wow. (laughs) He's that advanced. And Mike's advice is that good, I'm telling you. I believe you. And we've got a customer hero story about Starbucks to share. But first, Adam, you launched a new resource on the customers that stick blog. And I was wondering if you could tell us about it. Absolutely. So we just launched our Customers That Stick Guide to Customer Service Certificate and Degree Programs. You know, what's interesting is there's not a lot of academic higher education in the fields of customer experience and customer service. So we think this is a first ever attempt to catalog those customer service and customer experience degree programs. And our goal is simply to help shine a light on those institutions that are at the forefront of this education. So if you're interested in learning more about these programs, just check it out at customersthatstick.com. Sounds like a cool resource. Thank you. So today, Adam, we're talking about how your brain works against you. Do you know that? Do you know your brain works against you? Every day. (laughs) So one of the things that I love to look at is why it's so hard for us to really hear the truth. Because if you're dealing with anything with customer experience, hearing feedback in an honest way is super critical. And yet this is harder than it might seem. And that's because when we are challenged as human beings in our belief system, When somebody shows us evidence, like factual evidence that says this is actually what's happening, but it goes against what we initially believe, there's actually a name for it. It's called cognitive dissonance. We are whipping out the SAT words today. (laughs) We are. But what I love about the definition of cognitive dissonance, uh, there's one on Wikipedia, and one of the things it says is that it can actually cause physical discomfort. So you become irritated or irritable, you get hungry, you get angry. So that means that we're walking around as hangry people because somebody challenged our beliefs. (laughs) Right. So this is like after we cut off the podcast recording and you tell me about my performance (laughs) and I start to get sweaty and shaky, that is cognitive dissonance, Exactly. Exactly. And (laughs) (laughs) And This idea of our brains working against us in this way is actually detrimental for organizations who want the actual truth. Because, for instance, if you work with people every day who you know are trying their hardest and they're doing a good job and Sally and Billing is really nice, you go to lunch with her every day, and then you get a phone call and somebody says, I never want to work with Sally and Billing again. She was terrible. She missed our bill. She screwed it up. I think she's a terrible employee. Your initial reaction is literally, no, this cannot be true. Even if you try not to, your brain literally says to you, no, your belief is that Sally is a good person and she's a hard worker and she does the right thing. So when you get feedback like that, you literally have to be aware of how your your physical being is responding in order to overcome that and say, okay, this is feedback and I need to listen as objectively as possible. But it's really hard to do. It is. And it's really hard to train. I mean, you're so right. It's an important topic. I mean, we're joking around about it, but people simply don't want to hear things that conflict with their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And the other, the opposite, you know, is sort of confirmation bias, which is when they hear something that confirms what they believe, they're like, oh yeah, of course. 
Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Sally's wonderful. You know, Sally's the best. Of course, we got good feedback on Sally. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, I work with Frontline a lot. And that specific situation you're talking about with Sally, well, it may be good feedback or not good feedback, but you have to be open minded about it. You have to not have that gut reaction that there's no way Sally did that. Right. Because maybe she was having a bad day. But it also helps you know that, OK, I have worked with Sally for 10 years and maybe this customer is a little bit off in La La Land. Right. But right. you have to be open to the facts and so forth. And that's where that cognitive dissonance is a real challenge for organizations because it happens at the front lines and it happens in the C-suite. And, you know, there's a great example of a company really addressing this head on, and that's Starbucks, because they actually, a few years ago, started getting feedback from regular customers who went to the Starbucks every day in some cases, and there was no real loyalty or rewards program for them. And a lot of the local coffee places have punch cards and things like that where buy 10 cups of coffee, you get your 11th free. So what Starbucks did was they created this site called mystarbucksidea.com. It's still there. And they collect feedback and ideas from customers on a regular basis. And the reason I bring up the loyalty program is because that was basically designed by customers. So instead of saying, you know what, we're Starbucks, we don't need a loyalty program. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. You will pay $5 for a cup of coffee, whether you like it or not. Uh, they looked to customers and said, okay, what can we do about this? What would appeal to you? And now they have a really successful loyalty program that I might be a card carrying gold member of. <laughs> Just possibly. <laughs> Yeah. No, and that's and that's how you you have to ask the questions, and then you have to listen to the answers. And the yeah. hard part is listening to the answers yeah. and knowing what they mean, and shedding your preconceptions as much as possible to try to find some nugget of truth that you can make actionable. Right. And right. they Starbucks is great at that, I think, across the board. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about Starbucks. This is we're going to dedicate episode thirteen <laughs> as the coffee episode. <laughs> Excellent. Because we are going to talk about them in our Customer Hero, Customer Zero segment later on in the show. That's right. We are. But before that, we have a guest. All right. I'd like to welcome Mike Wittenstein. Mike runs StoryMiner, a design firm that helps service brands improve their experience, their service, and even their business designs. Mike is also a world-class expert who has helped over 400 companies in 25 countries. By his own admission, he's a designer who can't draw. <laughs> So, Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great, Adam. It's so good to be with you guys. Congratulations on your show. Oh, thanks, oh, thanks. so much. Now, I know you're into the store of the future because we both spoke at the Future Stores Conference in Seattle last year. So I'd like you to tell us, what is the store of the future? Sure. A store of the future, think of it like a concept car. Detroit comes up with all these new ideas. They pack everything into one new vehicle, and they show it off at one of the auto shows. And everyone gets so excited about it. There's intermittent windshield wipers, maps on the dashboard nowadays, uh, laptops instead of dashboards like you find in a Tesla. Dozens or sometimes even hundreds of ideas make it into a concept car. Once customers get their hands on it and once the dealers have a chance to play around, everybody kind of figures out what is it that customers really want the most. Because if you're not a customer, you can't do the absolute best design in the world. So a store of the future, like a concept car, is filled with all kinds of new technologies, ideas, behaviors, ways of getting things done. And whatever shakes out in the concept store, the store of the future, gets rolled out to all of the others. So it's kind of like an incubator or a prototype for moving the whole brand forward. Very cool. So, Mike, how would somebody who wants to create 
a store of the future, let's say, how would they start? What, what should they ask? Where should they, what should they do to get started? Well, depending on the size of retailer that they are, they might have a couple of different starting points, but I'm going to try to give you in the middle of the road scenario, assuming it's a small company with maybe a dozen or 20 stores or maybe even fewer, just go for that mid-market. Mm-hmm. The first thing I do is I'd set up a private Pinterest board. Then I'd go out and do some searches for store of the future. I do the same thing on YouTube on Google, on some of the retail news digest sites like retailcustomerexperience.com and Retail Wire, things like that. And look for the assets, look for the pictures, the videos, the text, the white papers that really entice you. Put all that stuff on your Pinterest board. Then start to break it into categories based on what you think your customers want and what you think you can do. So in that what your customers want category, start grouping things around like check-in, check-out, buy online, pick up in store, whatever breakdown you'd like to do that your customers are really asking for. And then on the second one, what would you like to do? Start putting together some ideas on how you can make maybe the cash wrap better, maybe the point of sale a little bit better, maybe something around digital signage. It's really intoxicating to come up with a whole big concept and pack dozens of new ideas in because the more you have, the more interesting it is. But the reality is, particularly for retail, retail, which is a buy low, sell high kind of a business, you've got to start where you are and you've got to be able to make some nice, comfortable, incremental gain kind of steps. So make things a little bit better. Pick two or three little things that you can do so that you get some support for your ideas and pick one stretch thing. Stretch thing might require some new technology, some changes in behavior, a little bit more budget. So Pinterest first, break it into a category for customers, another one for the business, do a couple little things and one stretch thing. Well, that's great advice. So as far as execution of that, how do you go about it with internally? You know, who's on the team? Who's participating in the discussions? Who's well, making you know, the final decisions? You really decisions? need everybody on the team because it's really hard to change the customer experience without all the different departments being involved. So what a lot of success, companies that are successful at introducing these changes to the customer experience do is they put together a kind of a SWAT team or an interdepartmental study team. Now, the word study doesn't mean that you have to put nails in the coffin right away. It really means finding folks from the different departments that are willing to move their parts of the business and adjust them so that you can get a better outcome. You need support from the top in terms of a charter. It's really a good idea to interview your top executive or executives and ask them, what is it that you guys will say yes to? What kind of direction are we going in? Are we trying to do things that raise sales, that improve customer confidence, that make our stores look better? Get some kind of charter. Then go to each of your different department heads and find out what they don't want to have happen. What are their anti-goals? Like the, the IT guys might say something like, I don't want any security breaches like we've seen at some of these other major retailers. You can't do anything that's not safe. The operations guy might have a different naysaying approach. But if you get those to surface first, it's so much easier to find out where the yellow lines are, and then it's easy to drive and stay right inside. Very good advice. And I'm curious, Mike, with all the uh, analysis and all the exposure you've had to store of the future, what are some of your favorite innovations happening in retail customer experience today? 
the ones that I like the most are the ones that incorporate a lot of different ideas at the same time. I haven't been to it, but I've seen a number of videos of the Burberry store. Mm-hmm. Um, high-end clothes, they've turned the store floor actually into a theater. It's absolutely amazing. Lots of elements of the store serve multiple purposes. They can do meetings, they can do fashion shows, they can do selling, of course, all pretty cool. Um, I always like the Apple Store, always very innovative, and they do a really good job of running that business. It's getting more and more profitable, even since Steve Jobs' passing. They say the um, Lester's coming off the Apple a little bit, and that may be true, but from a retail perspective, the store continues to perform amazingly well. I'm really interested in a technology by a company called Hointer, H-O-I-N-T-E-R, and they basically believe that the dressing room is the uh, the core of retail. And this is for fashion only, of course, where you're trying on clothes. But their technology allows robots, if you want to go that far, to deliver variations on a theme. You know, Based on whatever you're looking for, they'll help you get that right pair of jeans, that right blouse, the right matching elements. And it's a combination of artificial intelligence, customer experience, and sales. It's one of the best implementations I've seen so far. Last one, Rebecca Minkoff uh, is a PayPal um, experiment, if you will. It's a prototype store, and they've done an absolutely amazing job of making their interface very human. So it doesn't feel like you're working with technology. The technology really supports you, the shopper, and the shopping experience. So those are my favorites right now. Oh, those are great, Mike. And this has been some great information. And you know, when you're talking about the future, you're talking about uncharted territory. And it's all about asking good questions. That's what I love about your approach is how you ask these questions and steer companies in the right direction. So tell us, where can people find you on the Internet? My website is at www.mikewittenstein.com, M-I-K-E-W-I-T-T-E-N. S-T-E-I-N. That's my speaker site. And soon the company site for experience, um, service, and business design will be up at storyminers.com. S-T-O-R-Y-M-I-N-E-R-S. Thanks, well, Mike. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. And it's been great having you. All right. Take Thank care. You Bye-bye. Guys. Thanks so much. It's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. <laughs> Today, we're talking a lot about Starbucks, and our customer hero today is actually something Starbucks is doing called Meet Me at Starbucks. Now, Adam, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things that Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, said many years ago is that he wanted Starbucks to be the third place. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. And what that means is he wanted, he knows people go to work and he knows people go home. He wanted to create a place that still was a place they felt like it was home. They felt good in. They could get their work done. They could meet other people. But it was all about the experience. It really wasn't about the product, which is the coffee. So they're doing this really cool thing now, which I know you know a little bit about. So you want to tell us about it? Yeah, so they did this thing called Meet Me at Starbucks. And basically, you know, what I like is they've embraced the third place because it really is culturally what Starbucks is. I mean, how many business meetings have you done at Starbucks? How many meetings with friends? A ton, right? Countless. Yeah. Exactly. So they've embraced that and they've done a video and it's, it's actually like a sub site on their YouTube called Meet Me at Starbucks and they show all the different ways people are using. And I think they, I can't remember the number of countries, but they filmed it in all these countries in a single day, which is so cool. 
and you've got people planning their weddings, planning business meetings, all this kind of stuff. So it's a really cool video and they're really embracing that sort of third place idea. Well, and what I love about it is that it is totally focused on what is the experience of coming into a Starbucks. It's you see families kind of reuniting in the video. You see all sorts of really cool things. And I love that they're trying to really showcase that part of it instead of just showing here's a great cup of coffee or here's how we make it or any of those things, which they do another good job on. But this one is really about what is it like to walk into a Starbucks and why is that special? Well, because that's their competitive advantage. In the end, I mean, that's what they've always focused on. I mean, when you look at it from the standpoint of consumers, coffee is a commodity. I mean, it's literally a commodity. It's traded you know, as a commodity. <laughs> but, you know, from the standpoint of customers purchasing, I mean, you know, there's some coffee snobs and some people that really like, oh, yeah, this is like the perfect roast. For the most part, coffee is coffee is coffee. So what right? do you order when you go to Starbucks? Well, I have my healthy order and my non-healthy order. All right. Tell me both. Okay. So if I'm being bad, I get the grande soy caramel macchiato. Nice. Which is about 7,482 <laughs> calories and 90 hundred grams of sugar. Now, that's not that bad. And then if I'm being good, I get a uh, iced coffee with soy and a half pump of sugar. Nice. Nice. What is your, what is your drink? My go-to in an airport when it's early is a venti sugar-free, well, I just say venti skinny vanilla latte, which is sugar-free syrup and the skim milk. But that's a little bit of an indulgence. Usually I just get a skim milk latte. Um, but the funny part is I used to, as you know, I used to work with my brother, Bill Cusick, who we interviewed on this podcast a few episodes ago. And he and I would go get coffee and he would say, what would you like? And I go into this elaborate thing about, do you have this kind of syrup? And is it sugar-free? And is it this? And just a little whip. And then they'd say, and you, sir? And he'd say, I'd like a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So I always knew that I had to pay for it. Well, yeah, I've seen some. Uh, there was one order I wish I just like recorded on my phone. I couldn't. The late it was like half half pump, half sweetener, three Splendas, and it was crazy. But you know what's interesting? Sort of thinking about the commoditization idea and the experience idea. I mean, this is what sort of hotels and airlines they have the same problem. I mean, it's it's a it's a room with four walls. How do you make it different? And air travel even more so. So the, I think the lessons of what Starbucks is doing because they've done it probably better than almost anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Apple is able to differentiate on their actual product, right? But Starbucks really has to differentiate on experience more than anything. So I think there's a lot of lessons with what they're doing that other, you know, more commoditized industries could learn from. Yeah, I agree. So everybody should go check that out. Meet me at Starbucks. It's a really cool video from all over the world. It'll make you smile. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. Right, Adam? We are all about the smiles and the caffeine addiction. (laughs) Thanks for listening to episode 13 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam DePork, and my website is customersthatstick.com. More episodes and the show notes are available at crackthecustomercode.com. Please subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes so others can find the show. And spread the word. Tell your friends. We love word-of-mouth referrals. So until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.